0: Mental Models episode 74. I'm Steve Kwan. I'm Matt Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent jiu-jitsu approach and Matt as of today which is May 7th I am at 56 days of quarantine. Wow you've been keeping track. Yeah I figured you know I'd be like a a prisoner and just make little notches on the wall (laughs) and keep track. I miss going outside and doing jujitsu and stuff. Although where we are, there was kind of an announcement yesterday about the plan to reopen. So they, there's some things that they want to start loosening up on, which is good. And hopefully we get to something resembling normalcy sooner rather than later.
1: Yeah. I'm part of a a group of martial arts gym owners and they have this chat where they, they've, it's basically been started because of the COVID-19 thing. And they're talking about reopening and, uh, there's lots of
0: restrictions and guidelines and things the thing that i've kind of come to the conclusion about because i've seen all of these people debate back and forth and really it totally depends on where you live as to how bad the situation is right because where we live in bc we we locked down and we were kind of really cautious and as a result of that things weren't as bad as they could have been but then you look at other places and things are just a total disaster and in in fact i'm not totally sure yet what causes some situations to be better than others, right? Because some countries are just getting destroyed and others are actually surprisingly okay. Of course, really, the goal should be to try to be cautious and safe but also to reopen right because we don't want to like keep locked up forever we want to as soon as we safely can we want to reopen so i i've no- actually noticed this online there's kind of people sort of as they do they've divided into two different camps there's the like the stay closed camp and there's the reopen camp but i think as always the best answer is somewhere in the middle where like of course we want to stay closed when we need to to stay safe and we want to implement measures to stay safe but But we also need to balance that with trying to get life back to something resembling normal so there's going to be a give or take and i don't know what the answer is it's that's kind of one of the things that makes this a challenge is i don't think there's a good answer as to what we should do yeah i saw um
1: uh, this thing from marriott i used to work for marriott and uh, my buddy still does and he sent me this video outlining their plan moving forward Mm -hmm. and it's like you know all the kiosks are going to have plexiglass shields and there's going to be Hand sanitizer everywhere, I mean, there already is they're gonna be taking a lot of precautions moving forward, so I think I think life as we know it honestly is sort of gonna be changed,
0: and it's gonna there's gonna be visible reminders everywhere. um, I admittedly don't know anything, but my understanding is they say that like hand sanitizer is like it's cool and all but really what you need to be doing is washing your hands properly like that's kind of the gold standard and i i do kind of Not feel like your face. i do kind of feel like all of these people just obsessing over hand sanitizer or kind of losing the plot i mean it's great if you're out and about and it's the only thing you have but you want to favor washing your hands if you possibly can yeah. yeah.
1: otherwise if you just you know, I I know people that are so obsessed with hand sanitizer right now, it's really um and I don't think it's gonna be your savior, right? It's gonna be uh, good good hygiene practices and common sense, you know, not touching your nose and things like that. Yeah.
0: I mean the funny thing of course is when I see these like reopening guys for jujitsu and they're talking about don't worry guys we're going to have hand sanitizer at the door and you're going to have to wear your flip-flops like really really so we're going to roll around and breathe in everyone's face and grapple but the hand sanitizer is going to be the thing that makes the difference exactly (laughs) i mean
1: some of these restrictions that i've seen on this group it doesn't make any sense considering what jujitsu actually is like i've seen some restrictions some people are taking measures like uh, th- there's like uh there has to be
0: a certain amount of distance between par- uh, pairs <laughs> Just that makes seems, no sense to me <laughs> yeah it's going to be a, a challenge this is total speculation but i think probably the the most important thing is going to be Keeping class sizes kind of controlled and to the same group of people to the best extent possible, which is going to really screw up scheduling for a lot of gyms. But I think probably that's the most productive thing. But anyway, with all of that said, let's talk about how to get up in someone's grill and sit on them and exchange all the germs and viruses that you (laughs) got, because that's the topic of today's episode. So a while ago we talked about north south position, and I you know we spent so much time talking about high level concepts. It's kind of fun sometimes to also talk about individual specific positions and a position that I really like and a position that I know Matt has grown more and more fond of is the mount. So we thought today would be a good time to maybe break down some concepts for the mount and also how a lot of the mental models that we've discussed earlier tie into that position. So I feel like the mounts over the years kind of lost its popularity originally when i started the mount was considered to be just this incredible position but there's been kind of this big movement to move more towards taking the back which i understand but i do think that the mount is a really awesome position for a variety of reasons and i personally again i'm not everybody but i personally prefer going to the mount over taking the back Um, it's got some advantages that the back doesn't One is, of course, you have the benefit of gravity on your side. Squishing. Yeah. (laughs) And from the back, unless you're doing that variant where you're basically flattening the person out and sitting on them, you don't really have the benefit of gravity to the same extent. Also with the mount, you have a lot of mobility. The challenge with back mount a lot of the time is if your opponent starts to turn or starts to get away, you can lose that position. And with the mount, you can always transition to neon belly to side control, go right back to mount i find that when you're playing the top position it's a lot harder for your opponent to fully escape versus when you take the back it is possible that your opponent can turn around and now you're on the bottom in the guard right so i find the mount is a very defensible position i also like the variety of attacks and strategies you have from the mount there's a lot you can do and you can also just demoralize the person yeah, you know i was gonna
1: i was gonna add that i find
0: it much more uncomfortable and demoralizing to be stuck in mount as opposed to rear mount yeah well you can smother right from the back it's very very hard unless again you're on top squishing the person it's hard to smother the person from back mount but from mount you can totally just smother them and that can really take the energy out of your opponent and create a sense of desperation that leads them to make mistakes
1: yeah like you have the ability to just drop your chest right on their face and stay low and it's suffocating right you can just hold that position as well there's no there's no penalties given once you get to the mount position you can just smother them and um you know a lot of a lot of their athleticism is taken away especially if you have like a really low mount with um, like a grapevine with your legs or even crossing your ankles and just hipping into your opponent it's it's a horrible position and it forces reactions which is what i really like and
0: yeah, lots lots of offensive options from the mount, especially just face smashing. <laughs> yeah, there's something just demoralizing about the mount, and that is worth something. If you could just constantly demoralize your opponent, uh, it, I find that it kind of gives you an edge. It Not only does it give you confidence, but I like to always keep my opponent in a defensive mindset. Now, regarding the mount there's not just one category of mount there's several variants of it right one of them is low mount which is basically where you're kind of like sitting on the person kind of like a blanket you're laying mostly flat on top of them you also have high mount which is where you scooch up and usually when you have high mount you're postured up right this is kind of what you see in mma where someone is mounting someone and they're sitting up and they're trying to rain down bombs right basically that's a slightly different variation and i I've heard that referred to as high mount simply because you're bringing your legs up higher into your opponent's armpits and then there's a bunch of little variants of that such as for example jockey mount where you're kind of like almost sideways to the guy and a lot of the time you're kneeling on top of one of their arms so that's a good opportunity if you can get your opponent to turn onto their side it's a a powerful thing because then your opponent is usually one of their arms is exposed and there it's hard for them to turn around and face you again so there's not just just one mount and each of these variants has its own strengths and its own weaknesses but they're all very powerful in their own right and there's maybe different strategies for each of them
1: yeah and i think you're referring to technical mount when your opponent sort of turns to their side yeah uh, yeah yeah you're able to sort of turn with them um i think i think one of the best options from mount is to isolate a single arm in a high mount you've uh usually either isolated both arms occupying the space in their armpits or you isolate a single arm in which case you might be able to either attack uh the arm itself or attack like a head and arm position like a mounted triangle or use it to get like a head and arm choke or even even create back exposure depending on how they react so i, th- I think one of the great things about mound is you can just hang out there and f- make your opponent uncomfortable through time uh if you're ahead on the scoreboard there's no need to rush and um a lot of the time if you're aware of the reactions then you can take the back you know do all those submission options and of course in the gi there's going to be more options than in no gi no gi there's no lapels to grab so i think generally you're looking for either an attack on the arm or a head and arm or the back whereas gi there's a variety of you know different chokes you can do i know you're a fan of the ezekiel if you watch hodger gracie does cross choke really well so and the fact if you're wearing a gi, you're just scraping their face up. And, you know, in a competition, you're not wearing anything under the gi. So if, if they're not getting scraped up by the gi, then they're taking your sweaty,
0: hairy chest. It's really a lose-lose situation. Yeah, the mount is a really straightforward but also deep position right Uh, and there's a lot of things actually about the mount that i wish i knew when i started out normally when you go to a jiu-jitsu club one of the first things they're going to teach you is the bridge escape right where you you know the upa where you get your hips off the ground and the idea is that if someone is mounted on you you catch their arm and you do that hip bump and they fall over and the reality is that i i unless the person is really junior that escape likely is not going to work right because if you actually are good at playing the mount on top you know how to ride that motion you know how to lift your hips up you know the thing about the mount that is kind of counterintuitive is you think that what it's about is laying on the person like a blanket and using your weight but it's not really i've actually found that when you're playing mount you normally want to be hovering on top of the person almost like a half inch to an inch Mm. just because if your weight is resting on them when they bridge into you all of that force hits you and especially if they're strong that's going to send you flying so what you really want to do is you want to almost be kind of hovering on top of them and if they bridge up then you want to also raise yourself up so that you don't absorb that force directly you just make them burn energy so that's something that i wish i understood when i started training and it also raises interesting questions about the hip bump because the standard way people teach it by itself it's usually not sufficient to dislodge the person or or get them off of there Um, something that i've seen your instructor do for example is when he goes for the hip bump he'll actually knee the other guy with his knee in into the rear end and that forces the guy to move forward a bit and that strategy is much more effective but if you think that you're just going to lift your hips off the ground and that's actually going to result in a reversal it's honestly pretty unlikely
1: yeah. I saw, I saw a
0: video from Hicks and Gracie on the Oompa sweep. You know,
1: he, he kind of explains how it's all about how you're bridging, like the direction that you're looking. When you do the Oompa, you have to kind of look over your shoulder and really commit to that. The only thing is if you do, uh, if you're successful with that sweep, like in a point setting under the IBJJF rule set is you end up in the closed guard. So it's not really, you know, now you have to break out of their closed guard before you can start passing. So you could eat, your partner could easily burn up a few minutes before you even have a chance to score and one of the more one of the more demoralizing things that's happened to me in competition is i've been mounted and then uh the guy can't seem to open up anything on me because i'm defensive so he literally will roll over and give me close guard which is really shitty <laughs> it's, a, it's a horrible yeah. feeling because it's like you know you're giving me the top position but uh i still feel pretty useless here yeah uh, it's trying to escape a heart a really good close guard is difficult
0: yeah and the other thing too is if you do the upa you know you mentioned the importance of your head position the problem is if you do turn too much to the side it can actually expose a few things right it can allow your opponent to ride up into technical mount it can expose your arm it can expose your neck it can even expose your back so a big part of those sideways motions when you're on the bottom in mount is knowing that you never want to overcommit and turn too far to the side because that actually opens up things for your opponent so if you want to do uh, a bridge or a shrimp you know you need to turn a bit to the side but you don't want to go all the way to the side because that can actually make life worse for you yeah especially if your opponent uh the person mounting can cross your arm across the center
1: line then they have a direct Uh, path to the back right so keeping that elbow i usually teach a box frame technique keeping that elbow across the from going across the center line is such an important part of that position because otherwise that frame is completely gone and yeah you're you're just gonna get your back taken when i when i fought bruno Frizzato in vegas he he mounted me and then he actually did something that was really cool like every time every time i went to go do my box frame and bridge to the side He just cross-faced me right back flat to the other side. And in that moment, he was actually pretty reliably able to get his knees up into my armpits and get like a really high mount. I still don't know how he didn't submit me. Honestly, now that I think about it, Uh, I was... Pretty much just fighting for dear life to survive in that position, but uh, it was it was really good what he was doing. He was just hard cross faces to flatten the shoulders again during the escape, and then right away creating a knee elbow connection by moving right up, and it exposed. You know, if you if you follow that strategy, I've used it ever since. If you follow that strategy, you can get to s mounts and head and arms and all types of positions so um yeah it's a really good good uh, strategy
0: yeah when someone is trying to hip escape on the bottom and they turn to the side you know it's tempting to think that what you need to do is start messing with their arms because they're usually trying to push off on your leg and so it kind of feels like the right thing to do is to grab their arm and to try to pull it out but honestly the best thing to do is just to cross face them (laughs)
1: yeah Yeah, well their their frames can be pretty pretty good there and if you give them any space they're going to hip escape and get their knees back inside but if you just you know if they have two hands framing then their face is completely unprotected so you can just uh, cross face them like hell and then bring them a bring them flat and yeah it's worked really good for me ever since i learned that from getting my ass kicked by bruno
0: yeah it's something that my instructor did to me a, a while. you know i remember when i started people said oh if you're on the if you're on mount and the person on the bottom starts to hip escape you grab their hand and you pull it up and i realize now that's terrible advice <laughs> but something my instructor did which kind of clued it in for me was every time i was on the bottom and i tried to hip escape he would just cross face me and force my head into the other direction and that just completely kills your defense when you're on the bottom because what can you do right if if you leave your head exposed then if your opponent takes that as a lever like the head is one of the strongest levers you can get on somebody so i found now that really the scary part of being on the bottom in mount is leaving your head exposed so i try to make sure now that really no matter what escape i'm doing i'm not leaving my head exposed so that my opponent can can twist it because that's the thing i want to really really avoid i don't want to allow him to twist my head in the opposite direction i don't want to allow him to get a good collar grip that is priority i find when you're the one on the bottom and mount yeah that's
1: really mean (laughs) just attack the face and just uh you know pin pin him flat completely just smothering the face It's something that uh, I I like to do with my students that are really good because it's a good learning lesson, but at the same time, it's kind of mean to do to your teammates, (laughs) but it it has its place, right? It's one of the more, one of the more strong and efficient controls in jujitsu. You know, you don't Mm -hmm. even need to use your arms really. You can just keep a really low base and completely smother them. Yeah. Uh, And the only smothering really you can do from the back is if you do like that Python control that wagner hocha does like there's really no other you can you can attack the chokes over the face but you can't you can't use gravity to smash them down like you mentioned unless they're belly down which in in that case it's the worst position you can be in yeah i kind
0: of feel like belly down back mount is probably like the closest thing in jiu-jitsu to checkmate that you can get that is such a hard position to escape just the pressure on your back it's awful it's awful so the situation that we described here with the cross face really we're talking about low mount where you're kind of blanketed on top of the person it's hard to do that when you're playing a high mount game where you're sort of postured up now in terms of low mounts from your perspective matt when do you play that position where you're kind of blanketed on the person when i do it normally is number one if i'm settling into the position so i've just transitioned into mount and i need to hold the person there and and kind of you know wait until i've really stabilized it it's a good stabilizing position but the other situation where i find it very useful is for attacking chokes Um, i find that a lot of chokes especially the ezekiel or Easier to get when you're in a low mount position because you kind of have the benefit of smothering your opponent, and you don't really have to extend your arms that far.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I I think that settling into the mount is when you use the low mount, and it's great for control. I don't think it's the best for uh, submit in terms of finishing submissions. But if you do threaten like an Ezekiel, you basically you force a reaction in which case you force a reaction uh usually they're gonna expose their arms so that's that's a good way to either get a reaction from your opponent or even transition up into a higher mount so absolutely that's yeah, uh, I use I use the high mount more to attack submissions and the low mount to solidify position.
0: Yeah, the main benefit to the high mount is you've got more options because due to the fact that your knees are up closer into your opponent's armpits, that means that you can start attacking things like arm bars and kimuras and even omoplatas from there and triangle chokes. Whereas when you're blanketed on top of the person in low mount you can suffocate and you can apply some degree of chokes and you can stabilize the position but the attack options are more limited you don't really have access to an armbar from there or a I mean you can Americana from there but as you know against a good person an Americana from mount is very 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 hard to do not impossible but very hard to do
1: yeah it's difficult to finish that but it's not difficult to pin the wrist to the ground and then that forces them to respect it usually giving you some degree of back exposure. So I think that that's a pretty uh, common and tried, tested and true way to expose the back is just pin the wrist to the ground and put all your weight on it.
0: Yeah, when you're in that low mount, most of the time your opponent is going to go into defensive mode. <laughs> Something that my instructor refer referred to as the the home alone defense, right? Where you put your hands up by your neck and it sounds good in theory. And that's often what they teach white belts, right? Is you know, as soon as someone mounts you, you know, you tuck your chin and you bring your hands up. But the problem is you're not really getting out. You're not really defending with purpose. Mm-hmm. You're kind of just sitting there. And yeah, you might be able to slow an attack, but if you're not actually actively trying to do something to get out, you're really not doing yourself any favors. So what I do now is I just immediately start trying to, to hip escape to make a bit of space when I'm the person on the bottom. And if you're the one on the top attacking a low mount and your opponent is doing that, where they're basically shelled up, they're not giving you easy access to something. That's when you you want to do something to try to force a reaction and that can be as matt mentioned the americana is a good one because if they brought their hands up in front of you you can attack an americana and even if you don't get it it forces movement you can also go for a collar grip and start trying to set up a cross choke or you know you can go for an ezekiel and again even if you don't get those chokes they force a reaction and a lot of the time that's really what you want to achieve
1: yeah absolutely and and of course just maintaining the position if you can do that then you you're you're golden right you can enjoy the position while they're working harder than you um and i think i think maintaining a good head position is really important so i think a common rule that is taught is don't line your head up with their head like don't don't have your spine directly over their spine instead adopt more of a An off-centered approach and that will make it harder for them to take you either one way because you're basing or the other way because you're compensating your weight in in the other direction right so i always try and put uh if i can get a cross face or even an underhook and i put my head to the mat from the top position i like to sort of keep my spine off uh, off track of their spine and that makes it a lot heavier to move
0: around it's funny because that's one of those really counterintuitive things that doesn't look like it would make sense but it does when you do it um you don't want to just be spine to spine directly centered on top of a person because matt to your point then they can bridge in either direction and your weight is aligned perfectly so that they can move you. Mm -hmm. But if you're off to the side, then it creates a, a challenging situation because if they try to move you like throw you to one side then they're not going to be able to load you up because you're too far in the other direction and if they try to keep pushing you into that other direction then your weight is over there you're compensated and and they can't really move you so normally having an off balanced mount where you're kind of to the side makes it really hard for your opponents to come up with a way to displace your weight because you're not actually directly on top of them and from a low mount if you're a little bit off center it helps too because now you can put your head on the mat and use it as a another uh, another post and you can also drive your shoulder into their throat which is a, a good way to just expose the neck and also just make life terrible <laughs> which
1: i think i think mount is one of those positions where you're trying to make your opponent as uncomfortable as possible it's not really a gentlemanly position but <laughs> yeah or i I guess it could be if if you go about it a certain way, but then it probably won't be as effective. <laughs> uh, I think as a general rule, when you're doing top pins in jiu-jitsu it's important to have your to to at least make sure your spines aren't lying on top of each other in the same direction. Um, I've heard Danaher say this, especially like if you're in a half guard and your spine is on top of the other spine, running in a parallel manner, it's going to be easier for them to sweep you or put you in a lockdown or or move you around but the more perpendicular you make your spines the the more pressure you can apply with your pins so it's something that i try and think of especially when i'm in like mound side control half guard these top pinning positions um trying well- to keep my spine
0: not directly in line with theirs and the other thing too is if you're directly aligned with them you don't know which direction they're going to send you you know they could they could hip bump to the left or to the right they could Mm -hmm. hip escape to the left or the right it means that there's more options for your opponent and you have less ability to predict their response whereas if you Align yourself a bit off center, then it makes it much harder for your opponents to come up with good options. There's less things that they can do, and you have a better understanding of what direction they're gonna attack you in. So yeah, I agree with you that turning a bit off to the side is very helpful. Now I have another question for you. When you're playing the low mount, what is your stance on leg grapefinding? Because I've heard Mm -hmm. wildly different opinions on whether you should grapevine the guy's legs.
1: I mean, I've heard um, different, different opinions. Uh, I've had people mount me and grapevine me, and it's super annoying. Uh, it's escapable, just like. Any position, but it takes some time to untangle. And if they're if they really use grapevine a lot, it can be very difficult. Personally, for me, when I'm on top, I prefer like the closed guard
0: approach. You I cross like- your ankles under them so that they can't hip escape easily.
1: Yeah, I I either make my my big toes touch like dead toe style, or I like to cross my ankles because then I feel like I can really hip in and take the wind out of them. So that's that's sort of my go to as I start to transition into a high mount position. Usually, I'll give a little to a little so if i'm on top and i'm in the low mount and i feel like my partner is now starting to get their frames inside maybe they made enough space and they get their arms inside and they have the inside position like uh when i say in inside position really both both athletes are looking for inside position top person's trying to look to get their knees eventually into the armpits of the bottom person bottom person is trying to create frames on the hips uh, while keeping their elbows inside so that they're arms don't get exposed as levers so as a general rule when i play low mount i i basically just let them start to get their frames and when i when they turn on their side that's when i know okay now i can do my cross face and just completely flatten them out and usually advance position in this moment uh and it's so much more demoralizing when you make them work for a frame and then you take it all away rather than just squishing them from the get-go because then they might not exert as much energy they might sit there and wait a little bit it's way more i think effective to make them work and then take it away from them.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of strategies as to what you do with your legs when you're in low mount on someone. And yeah, I I know from sparring with you that you prefer the approach where you cross your ankles underneath the person, so kind of like you're playing closed guard but on the top. And that's really annoying because it prevents the hip escape, which I think is probably one of the the best options to open the person up when you're on the bottom. In regards to the leg grapevine, I used to do that a lot, but I was training with Adam Ryan, who is a black belt from up here in Vancouver, and he was mentioning that, you know, he's seen he's seen at least one person really injure their knees doing that, which I, I can understand, right? If you're grapevining someone's legs, then if they do a big explosive movement to the side, it could put a lot of torque on your knees. But additionally, the other thing I find with the leg grapevine, and part of the reason why I've kind of moved away from it, is it has kind of the same limitation that the lockdown does from half guard which is where yeah it works sure you can hold the person there that's great but it's also very predictable and you've also tethered yourself to the person right so yeah it's great you, you've grapevine them but so they can't move their legs but how are you going to move your legs and that's a big part of playing mount is being able to transition and move around it's not about just being a wet blanket and squishing the person it's about transitioning from these different variants of mounts whenever your opponent makes a move because yeah to your point matt i mean yeah it's one thing to just blanket the person and squish them but it's another thing to let them move let them burn energy and then exploit that and tighten the noose every time they do so what i actually do now when i'm on mount on someone i leave my legs almost somewhat loose and so that my opponent will go for something like a hip escape or a bridge and i try to be mindful of where their feet are i try to feel if they, if they plant their feet because if i feel the person pull their feet in and plant them i know they're going to go for a bridge right you you kind of become sensitive to that where you feel them pull their feet in and they mm-hmm. plant them on the ground and you know a bridge is coming so what i do now is i wait and as soon as they go for a bridge i just use my feet and i just kick their feet back out again <laughs> so yeah. basically i kick them in the calves just as they're bridging and it's totally demoralizing it just
1: takes them out of base yeah right?
0: yeah and the other benefit too to keeping kind of loose there is if my opponent hip escapes if my feet are mobile then i can use that opportunity to move up to a technical mount right as soon as they turn to their side i pop up and i move up to technical mount and then i've, I've made the situation even more challenging for them so there's different options from there right if you're playing the mount you can do what i do where you keep your feet mobile or you can grapevine or you can play the the close guard where you cross your ankles i don't think any is really right or wrong but whatever you do i would just say you want to make sure you've got a conscious strategy towards what you're doing and you know what the risks are and and what tends to work well from those positions yeah i think
1: it would do me some good to go back and study like old hodger gracie tapes some old school uh cross chokes from the mount just because it's he makes it so i mean i know he's the best right but like Mm -hmm. he makes it uh, so effective whereas when i'm in mount generally i try and expose arms that's more my thing or or i try and isolate a head and arm of some sort like that is more i feel like just by way of the lever i have more control but i feel like i'm neglecting a huge part of the attack without going for cross chokes so Mm -hmm. You know, obviously I'd love to pick Hodger's brain for an hour on that. Hodger, if you're listening,
0: send us an email. Yeah. (laughs) Please make a video for us. I wonder who our most famous listener is because I know that there's a few out there. Anyway. Yeah. Hodger Gracie, if you're listening, please write in and tell us how to do this stuff. But the cross choke is another great example of where you actually want to be staggered to the side. Um, A mistake that I made when I started training was I would go for the cross choke and I would basically just sit directly right on top of the person centered on top of the person and if you do that as soon as you go for the cross choke, they're just going to hip bump you every time, right? But the trick to the cross choke is you actually sit off almost to the side because then they can't do that. Um, another thing about the cross choke is I find that it's actually most effective when you do it from low mount because the problem is if you do it from high mount, you're kind of sticking your hand in the person's face. They can they can bridge, but if you do it from low mount, you have the benefit of basically like grinding your forearm across their face, which sucks. <laughs> so you know the benefit to doing the cross choke from low mount is you've got all of that upper body pressure right down on your opponent's neck and their face and it's super uncomfortable so if you're finding that you're having trouble completing the cross choke or, or even getting your opponent to respond to it try staggering a bit off to the side rather than being directly centered and also try doing it when you're lowered down rather than being fully postured up because that that pressure on top of your opponent's face makes it a lot more successful
1: yeah, and I'm always always hunting for inside position. I tend to, I think it's just more because of my, I've been doing so much nogi that it's I look for the inside position rather than collar grips and things like that. So I my game ten, generally tends to steer a little bit away from attacking lapel chokes from that position and more towards isolating levers and, you know, getting inside uh, with my knees and whatnot. And same thing on the bottom. I always want to have my elbows glued to my body rather than letting my opponent expose them. It's just going to be better structure overall and, and it'll be a less likely chance that I'm going to get, um, you know progressed upon into like a high mount or something like
0: that well let's talk about that then because if you want to attack levers meaning in this case your opponent's arms you're going to go up to high mount that's really what you have to do so when your opponent gives you the space when you can bring your knees up into their armpits and posture up that's when you're in high mount so the main benefit to high mount is a lot of chokes are harder from here with the exception of perhaps the triangle choke but you now have access to your opponent's its arms which opens up the armbar the kimura the omoplata a lot of different options from there and of course in a self-defense situation it opens up raining bombs <laughs> So something to be very mindful of against a really high mount too it can be very hard for the person on bottom to escape because if the person's knees are wedged into your armpits you don't really have a lot of space to go so where whereas in a low mount you at least have the options to bridge and to bump and to move around if your opponent has your arms kind of sticking up in the air because they got their knees into your armpits it becomes much more challenging to escape so usually the strategy i see i don't see a lot of people hang out in low mount they they go there to stabilize and attack but really what they want to do is they want to open up the armpits so that they can scooch up into that high mount because that's where it's just is such a more dominant position and the other benefit too about the high mount is you can ride that position a lot better so if your opponent starts really trying to bump you you can kind of just lift your butt off the ground and that takes the power away and you can kind of ride them like a bull right so they're trying to buck you off and you just raise your butt up and then they're just burning energy Uh, and that's a very effective thing what you don't want to do is try to sit down harder on the person when they're bumping because then you're basically you're giving them something they can push their force into and you don't want that so if someone is actually bumping you from the bottom you actually want to raise yourself up rather than pushing back down
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and if you get the high mount with double unders as i do a lot in nogi Uh, one thing that really helped me was just flaring my elbows in a straight line which gives you a really good amount of base Uh, i think a lot of people when they get double unders and they clasp their hands if it's kind of intuitive to pinch your elbows together because you want to create a strong grip around your opponent's torso but if you do that then you're more susceptible to upa and things like that and to
0: overhooks um, i actually had people do this to me because it seems so intuitive that when you're on top of someone and you have double unders, you should go for like two really tight underhooks and pinch your elbows into their ribs. It feels like the right thing to do, but the problem is then your opponent can get two overhooks on you and they can almost double whizzer you <laughs> and, yeah. and especially in the gi it's so hard to get your arms out of there so there's this weird counterintuitive thing where you actually want to flare your elbows out because not only does that prevent that but it also makes it harder for your opponent to bring their arms back in which is what you want to avoid if you're going for that position
1: yeah it's um It just creates, like, better structure. And it's one of those weird occasions where creating... uh, Like, opening your own elbow creates more power. Mm -hmm. There's only a few situations in jiu-jitsu I can think where that is the case where better structure involves opening your elbows away from your body but in this case when you do that you really take control of their arms as levers and uh, take away their range of motion so it's logical it makes perfect sense
0: yeah you know this is something that really baffled me for a long time when i started training because there are examples of where you want to flare your elbows out which technically seems like it should be a weaker position and i tried to figure out for a long time is there like a rule or a mental model that ties all of this together in a way that actually you can explain this universal and what i came up with was that generally yes you want to coil your limbs in you want to keep your elbows as close to your core you want to bring in your knees you you know you don't want to give your opponent a good handle onto you but there are situations where it's okay to extend something and normally those situations are when number one you're doing so for purpose like you're doing so because by doing this you can exert force that you couldn't otherwise do and number two you're doing it in a situation where your opponent cannot grab your arm or your leg or whatever that limb is that's the big thing like it is okay to stick your arm or your leg out or flare your elbow or flare your knee it's okay to do that but only if it's actually giving you more power and there's no good way for your opponent to counter it by grabbing you um so an example that i believe we've given in the past about situations where like you can you can stick something out is if you're like on the bottom and you're trying to do an escape from like half guard or side control you can cup your hand and put it into your opponent's armpit and stiff arm them Mm -hmm. and it looks like this should be a bad idea because the first thing you think is well you can get armbarred but not really because if you're cupping someone's armpit like that and you're hipping out you're pushing them at such an angle that they can't wrap back around and armbar you most of the time so this mount thing is a similar situation where when you've got those underhooks sometimes you actually want to flare your elbows out because although it looks weaker you're actually doing it in a way that is going to give you more control and you're also doing it in a situation where your opponent cannot exploit that right normally sticking out an arm or a leg gives your opponent an advantage but in this case there's nothing for them to grab
1: yeah because you have the inside position you you deny them the ability to bring their elbows inside so even though your arms are flared theirs are much more flared And one of the purposes of doing it from this situation is that it breaks their structure. And uh, it would be different, you know, if if you didn't have underhooks, it wouldn't make sense. But Mm -hmm. because you have underhooks, you've taken full control of those arms. And then flaring your elbows actually breaks their alignment more than anything so mm-hmm. the, one of the other situations i can think of where opening the elbow is important is uh toehold mechanics because that provides the the heel pulling action that you know a lot of people i remember when i first learned the toehold people were like oh just put the toe in the hole like put the put the guy's toe in his butthole but that a lot most of us are flexible enough where that kind of locks out it's actually the shearing motion the pulling motion of the of the heel pulling open and that's created by opening your own elbow and pulling it outwards so yeah
0: yeah, yeah. there
1: are situations where you can get better
0: mechanics through open elbows but generally it's it's usually good structure it means elbows close to your body but that's a good example too of where it's okay because if you're toe holding someone number one you're doing this for a reason you're not just flaring your elbow for no reason you're doing it because it increases the shearing power but also if you're toe holding someone flaring your elbow is safe because what are they going to do you're toe holding them it's not like they can reach around and grab that elbow right exactly. so it's totally safe uh, another good example of where it is okay to flare like that is the marcelotine right where you're your flare that basically the high elbow guillotine because it gives you power and from that angle the fact that your elbow is exposed is irrelevant because your opponent can't grab it but anyway um back to high mount i mean another big advantage to high mount, of course is You can transition. Uh, One of the things you have to accept when you take any top position is that you can't guarantee you're going to be able to keep it. Now, of course, you want to, and you always want to advance the position, but you can't fully guarantee that's going to happen. You might lose it. Um, And if you're in high mount, it's very easy to transition back to side control it's very easy to transition to neon belly and then you can get into some really entertaining point farming <laughs> where if your opponent hips hips out and you go to side control and then back to neon belly and then back to mount that's an extra six points for you right so you can get into some interesting situations if you do that and from low mount it can be harder to transition like that because you are flattened down on top of the person
1: yeah i think i think from a high mount position if you're gonna get like uh a... Uh, if you're looking to transition into a lot of attacks. For me, I think Double Trouble is probably my favorite concept Mm -hmm. like uh like an s mount would be a great example creating a a wedge underneath the far arm is going to prevent them from rotating away from you Uh, and then from there you can sort of get your get your s mount position or even shoot your leg through for a triangle or whatever you want to get that's kind of my go-to especially in nogi i find that very applicable also of course looking for the back but um i I think you know what we describe high mount as knees in the armpits which it is uh, i think a more accurate way to say would be at least one knee uh next to their ear Mm -hmm, you know rather than like because you can have uh your knees into the armpits but you might not have a wedge behind the shoulder whereas if you migrate your knee next to their head and you pinch next to their ear now that uh creates a really strong frame on that shoulder uh, locking that arm so you have if you're in that position you have two arms
0: that you can dedicate to controlling the far arm mm-hmm. the way that i kind of think about that is if you get to the point where you're actually able to go beyond their armpit and get your knee to the ear which is always a good strategy you're kind of beyond just high mount like you're moving into like technical mount s mount territory because by definition if you can do that if you can get your knee to their ear it means they must be on their side right you've got at least one of those shoulders off of the ground and this is actually one of the great strategies when you're attacking for mount is eventually against a good opponent they are going to try to hip escape because that's just a much more high percentage way of getting out generally i find it tends to be safer it tends to give up less back exposure but when you do that you open up the avenue to something like technical mount or to s mount and that's you know as for me anyway that's where i often want to go so as soon as my opponent starts trying to do that then yeah i bring my knee up on one side and i try to get it right to their ear and with my other knee depending on the situation i either like to like put my shin over top of their bottom arm to keep it there or i will pull up their bottom arm and that's when i start going to s mount
1: nice yeah, stapling with your knee that creates all types of mounted triangles and things like that.
0: Yeah, and I mean a lot of this these positions can be challenging to force because they kind of require your opponent to start attempting a hip escape, but most of the time people will do this, right? If they'll either go for a hip escape or they might go for a bridge, but if the bridge doesn't work, then they'll start going for the hip escape. And at that point, yeah, you want to try to get your knee right up to their ear on one side. And then on the other side again. It's a preference thing. I mean, I personally play both of those positions where uh, depending on what's happening i'll either go to a technical mount and i'll squish the other person's arm or i'll pull that arm up and i'll go to s mount and you know a challenge i used to have with s mount way back in the day was i just thought i didn't have the flexibility to do this and i thought um i because my knees are not particularly flexible and i also thought well i'm just worried that if i do this my opponent is going to bump me off and so i just didn't do that position but i realize now that what was happening is is often the case is i was just doing it wrong (laughs) The, the trick to s mount is like if you're having trouble navigating your foot cuz you got to pivot your your leg around so that it kind of sticks underneath the person's other arm it can be an awkward motion if you're finding that that's hard for you to do or if you're finding that your opponent is grabbing your your foot while you're trying to do it really what I would consider suggesting is trying to scoop that far arm going for double trouble so as soon as I get that one knee on one side up into their ear on the other hand I'll use my hand and I'll cup their tricep and I'll try and pull their other arm up off the ground and that's how I get my my leg in and for for those of you who are attending our recent seminar there's a lot of like really nasty submissions like the manatee armbar that you can do from from mount there where you basically just sit on the person but yeah i find that that's where double trouble really comes into play is when your opponent is on the side like that you can just attacking the one arm in front of you is kind of like deceptive it seems like the right thing to do but the secret is to actually grab the other arm and pull it into you
1: yeah and and if we're comparing rear mount to regular mount i think if i'm going against someone bigger than me i would way rather prefer rear mount because when i'm on top of a bigger opponent i feel like uh you know just because of the size and strength difference there's a better chance that i'm either going to get bench pressed off Mm -hmm. or if i tether myself to them i'm going for a ride Mm -hmm. whereas in the rear mount i feel in much more control i feel like there's not much they can do to attack me um i feel like there's no risk of my feet getting injured whereas sometimes mm-hmm. in mount if you do if you your feet aren't in the right position like you mentioned before uh you could totally hurt your foot or your knee or whatever so i, I against bigger guys i generally tend to
0: funnel towards the back as opposed to crushing in the rear mount but what, little guys i'd way rather prefer to <laughs> smash them well what's interesting is i find from that technical mount position i don't really care how big the guy is i feel pretty good from that position s mount is a slightly different story because when you're kind of trying to like tuck your foot in under them there is sort of a a point at which if your opponent is just too big or too strong they might be able to bounce you off but i find from technical mount, you have the benefit of being able to still move around and negotiate Um, but yeah it might be harder to keep your opponent there i mean there's there's a reason why the rear naked choke is called the lion killer right is because if you can get onto someone's back even as a much smaller person it's pretty easy to neutralize them now that said i've i've beat a lot of bigger guys by taking mount on them but yeah there's always going to be some degree of power dynamic there where if you make a mistake or you go to the wrong variant of the position they might be able to throw you and so that's something that you have to think about Mm mm-hmm for sure cool attack the face at all costs <laughs> always attack the face yeah especially in the gi like you know that's one of the nice things about the cross choke from gi is you can basically just drive your forearm in the gi fabric right across a person's face but yeah um i i'm a big fan of mount i mean it's a position where like i said I was not always super keen on it but then at some point I think around the time I got my brown belt I kind of realized that maybe I was just playing it wrong and it was not so much about just being a wet blanket on top of the person and now it's probably one of my favorite positions. I'm actually personally a lot stronger in mount than in back mount and I, I would also say that the the back mount is much more in vogue i think you know that might change but if you're really good at mount you can actually surprise a lot of people because sometimes people don't expect you to go to mount and to really play that position dominantly and the nice thing about mount too is if it doesn't work out, there are pretty good ways to get onto the person's back from there. If you can gift wrap their arm, for example, it's quite easy to get to their back. So something to think about is, you know, if you want to go to mount, you have that option to get that other four points and go to back mount. You get four points for that, right, from mount to back. Yeah. Yep. Um, but if you take someone's back, it's a lot harder to go from there to go on top onto mount. So something to think about is that the mount can be a very powerful attack position. It's got a lot of options. So yeah, hope that was helpful.
1: Yeah, for me, I. I'm sort of rediscovering the mount. Um, I didn't use it for the longest time but I'm using it a lot more lately and uh, enjoying it a lot and a big reason is because the way that I'm passing actually leads me to mount a lot more than other positions sometimes so I just sort of find myself there so i i kind of have to learn how to hold it and transition from there so Mm -hmm. it's it it is awesome and it's really uncomfortable very demoralizing (laughs) especially if it's in like a competition setting when you you really want to wear someone down and
0: actually i don't want to
1: say hurt them but you do want to make life hell for them mount Mm -hmm. is a great
0: position for that and you can even do that in a friendly sense in the gym right like if you're playing a high mount you can kind of like just Bitch slap. (laughs) depending on the rule set but i was thinking more you know you just basically lie down on top of their face right i mean no one's going to get hurt doing that but you can really destroy someone's composure by taking that strategy so again big fan of the mount
1: and we don't really talk about like the act of suffocating someone in (laughs) jiu-jitsu as a means
0: of control and will suffocation as control yeah the 50 shades (laughs) of gray strategy where basically you're just like making the person miserable and they consented to the whole thing yeah yeah i don't know i I didn't watch that no neither did i no no i think my wife did her argument was that it's research because she's an author but i'm not so sure that that's the real reason yeah
1: it's mommy porn let's be honest
0: anyway just to tie this up so the important thing to understand about mounts is that it's not just one position there are variants so there's low mount which is where you're kind of blanketed on top of the person that's usually most effective when you're stabilizing the position but it's also a very good way to set up chokes or to force someone to start reacting to you there's high mount which is where you're posturing up on top of the person usually you have your knees close to their armpits this is kind of the position that you look at in mma where someone is trying to strike but in Jiu-Jitsu, it's very powerful because it starts to expose the arms and then you also have technical mount and s mount which is where your opponent turns on to the side and you start trying to bring your knee up into their ear on one side and then of course what happens with your other foot depends on whether you're playing technical mount or s mount very powerful attack positions here um, if you can get someone into one of these positions <laughs> (laughs) often, you're probably going to be the one that the fight goes to. Um, I know, for example, if I can get someone to technical mount or S mount, I'm feeling pretty good about whether I'm going to get the sub or the decision. So to recap the mental models that we talked about here today we talked about crossing the center this is a great strategy when you're mounted on someone if you can force their arm across their body that's how you set up a lot of submissions that's how you get like arm triangles that's how you can go to the back by gift wrapping Um, that really makes it easy to set up things like arm bars for example Um, i am a big fan of trying to get the person's arm across their body now interestingly When you're doing this on the bottom, getting an arm drag from the bottom is hard, but when you're on top, you can use your body weight and that can really force the person to cross their arm across their body. Very valuable strategy. We talked about defending with purpose. So if you're playing mount on the bottom, don't just do the home alone defense where you bring your hands up and tuck your chin actively do something to get out of that position otherwise you're just delaying the inevitable we talked about head position so when you're on mount first of all you can use your head as an extra post but you can also really pay attention to where your head is because if you're off center that can make it much much easier to actually prevent your opponent from escaping since a lot of the escapes that your opponent might do they're going to work a lot better if your opponent is centered we talked about predictable responses so again another reason to off-center yourself is because it makes it much more predictable as to what your opponent is going to do if you're directly centered on top of them they can go to the left or the right and that makes the fight a lot less predictable we talked about inside channel control which is where you try to get your arms and your legs and even your head on the inside that's a key part of the strategy for mount both whether you're on top trying to dominate or on the bottom trying to escape or reverse we talked about limb coiling again as a general principle you want to keep your elbows and your knees kind of pinched in and tucked in you don't want to give someone an easy ability to extract your arm or your leg but there are situations where that is okay primarily if you're doing it for a reason meaning it gives you extra power or control and you're also doing it in a situation where your opponent cannot then grab and control that arm or leg and we talked about double trouble so if you're really trying to attack from mount a lot of the time it's not just about attacking the arm or the leg that's in front of you it's also about controlling the arm on the far side sound good matt awesome cool want to answer a question sure all right (laughs) hi guys i dislocated my shoulder while rolling in bjj on november 11th 2019 I have done physical therapy for it, and it seems stable at this point. I am still scheduled for more sessions, but it's on hiatus at the moment due to the COVID epidemic. I found your podcast and enjoyed listening to your perspective on injuries. I wanted to get your thoughts on returning to BJJ following such an injury. I believe I have concurrent subacromial impingement, which I had been getting PT for prior to the injury. As background, I am 38 years old, 6'4", about 205 pounds, four-stripe white belt had been training for almost a year when i got hurt would be great to hear your thoughts on what to expect and how to get back to training bjj my gym is mostly closed at the moment due to covid but i'm hoping to get back to it once it reopens i'm apprehensive about going back and dislocating it again also any guidance on types of exercises would be much appreciated thanks very much
1: well, I don't know what what injury that is. It sounded uh sounded I'm not a doctor, so <laughs> I shouldn't be giving uh advice for physiotherapy. Um I, I think resistance band training with shoulders is excellent, like uh, you know, external rotations, things like that. That's really helped me through my shoulder injuries. Um and of course like military press and pull-ups, things like this. I mean, I know that's gonna be difficult if you Uh, are coming off a fresh shoulder dislocation but those are exercises that are really good for your shoulders uh you know assuming you're doing the proper work any rowing exercise where you work not only the uh you know like the rotator cuffs but you're working the rhomboids and the traps and all all the neglected muscles in the mid back uh, that's really helped me a lot and not only has it helped me uh with my neck pain but it's actually helped me become stronger with other exercises such as pull-ups and even in judo my uchikomi feels a lot stronger when i activated those muscles so i think you could you could probably see a lot of benefit from Targeting those smaller muscles that uh, get overlooked if you're just using like basic exercises like military press and pull ups and things like that. Uh, As far as returning to the gym, I would just be very careful with it. Of course, I'd probably limit anything high impact. So uh, takedowns and things like that, I would probably steer clear of for a while until you feel more comfortable. Um, And I would be very careful about Uh, letting that structure get broken so if someone gets like an underhook on that and then they start driving pressure forward opening your arm you might find that you actually have to tap right Uh, keeping your arm safe keeping your elbow close to your ribs and just being mindful of it and possibly modifying your game to a to accommodate uh, that injury while it's healing is um is probably my best advice because i i've i had a a shoulder injury when I was a blue belt and to be honest my shoulder is still not the same It still crackles and and uh, pops and it you know that might never go away you'll probably ne- I hate to say it you might never get to to the point of 100% again uh, but that's just kind of how it is and a lot can be achieved through physio and just being mindful of it
0: yeah yeah like you said I mean I'm not an expert either so I don't know if I would prescribe specific activities but in terms of how to prevent further reaggravation, one thing is to avoid situations where you can fall on your shoulder so a big part of that is stand-up especially judo throws but also a high impact wrestling takedown can force you to post on that hand or land on your shoulder so my suggestion would be try to take the initiative and be the one who gets it to the ground first um, usually with like a safe guard pull or something uh, but also on top of that prevention is so important and one of the best ways to do that is get into the habit of keeping your elbows coiled tightly to your body now that's not good advice just for shoulder injuries that's just good structural advice in general it's going to be a lot harder for your opponent to grab and control one of your arms if you keep your elbows in tight to the rest of your body so something to think about and uh, again prevention is often the best strategy so by doing those two things hopefully you prevent a situation where you're going to get that injury reaggravated
1: yeah and if uh like i prefer resistance band also i have a trx which is like a how would i describe this basically like handles on a rope where you can use body weight exercises really low impact stuff and also stuff in the water is actually really good too because it's super low impact what i wouldn't recommend doing is start chucking weights around and kettlebell swings and things like that these are all very dynamic movements eventually i think that would be awesome to get to those those exercises but you know swimming and resistance band stuff and even small dumbbells if you want to do like lateral uh raises and things like that those are all good for your for your uh, shoulders and your upper back so don't just don't just worry about rehabbing your shoulder try and build out your entire upper back as well
0: to support um to support everything Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well good chat i think that that was a pretty good conversation on the mount hope that was helpful and let us know if you like this kind of episode where we dig deep into a single position because there's a lot of positions we we could definitely do a lot of episodes that kind of fall into this format so i want to do like a multi-series on leg locks but as we know they don't work yeah it's true i mean you'll you can do like a 10 part series on leg locks and then i'll follow it up with one episode about how the whole thing just doesn't work and you should not use those no the thing actually about leg locks i would like to do that i wonder how well it would translate to Audio, because I think the thing about most of the traditional positions is if we talk about mount, for example, most people can easily visualize that because we've all done it so much, but a lot of people probably haven't done that much in the terms of leg locks to the point where they'd be so familiar with those positions but yeah i think that if this is something that you want us to do do write in and let us know because i'd certainly be happy to dig deeper into those positions cool awesome well as always this podcast is supported by our patrons that's what keeps the lights on and it really means a lot to us if you can support us if you do of course you also get access to premium content we're doing a series on how to build your own game plan right now which is only available to patrons in our silver and gold tiers so if you want to be a part of that, you can go sponsor us at patreoncom bjj Mental Models. Again, that's patreoncom bjj Mental Models. That's the single most valuable thing you can do to support the show. So we really do appreciate it. You can also go to our website BJJ Mental Models.com, which is where we have a database of all of the concepts that we discuss, as well as an easy way to contact us. If you want to pick up our merch, you can go to BJJ Mental Models.com/store. We've got hoodies now. So. So those are up there as well as the t-shirts and the gi patches and of course if you want to get more content slash join to get onto our mailing list and you can always check us out on facebook and on instagram good chat matt thank you Steve. thank you talk to you next time guys Great. see ya